0: Welcome to the Hunt the West podcast, where it's all about getting outside, getting the job done, bringing some meat home and put it on the table, and having an epic adventure that you can talk about around the campfire. I'm your host, Skylar Harrison, and today we've got a special episode. I mean, I think they're all special, but I'm kind of biased, but this episode is all about my very first bow hunting season. I have never been a bow hunter I've been exclusively a rifle hunter up until this season in fall of 2019. So there were lessons learned, arrows were flung, and we'll get into the details of the story and the many stories actually and the lessons I learned in them. So, let's get into it. The reason I wanted to start bow hunting was for there's a few reasons. Um the season is earlier in the year, so rifle season for mule deer usually starts the second or third week of October and the archery season starts in the last week of August or second week of August it goes from mid-August to mid-September so it's a lot earlier and that's good for me because my anniversary lands on the rifle opener every year and so that was better for me and the, I get a longer season. It's a full month instead of a week or just five days. There's fewer hunters doing archery, so a lot less people around, a lot um, fewer hunters moving the deer around, so it makes it a little bit easier to to pattern them. Which And, and in summertime, mule deer are a lot more predictable. They are usually up in their, their summer ranges, up high in the mountains, and they typically stay in the same basin in a a smaller area than they do in October. And then on top of that, they're in velvet during the summer. And I've just always wanted a velvet buck because I've, it's probably just because I've never had one up close. I've never been able to be around one. So I've always wanted a velvet buck. So for all those reasons, I wanted to do an archery hunt. So those are kind of the pros, but let me tell you, there are a lot of cons to archery over rifle the, the biggest one is you have a way, a way smaller chance of having success. So in the areas that I was hunting, the hunter success is 35% for archery, which is actually pretty high, but compared to 75% success rates with a rifle. So your chances go way down if you pick up a bow and go out during archery season. Um, another con is you have to get a lot closer to the animals this is the most obvious one your my effective range is about 50 yards with a bow after that my groups start to get pretty big and i'm not real comfortable beyond 50 yards and then you also have to worry about wind noise and being seen a lot more than when you're rifle hunting you can get away with quite a bit when you're rifle hunting you don't have to be especially with wind you I mean, you're usually a couple hundred yards away, and like when you make your play, you're getting within, you know, one to two hundred yards, ideally, as close as you can. And unless you have some pretty strong winds, that smell is not going to carry over to to the deer as as quickly or as, or as easily. I mean, you can always get you can always get busted by a mule deer's nose, but when you are within 100 yards when you're under 80 yards when you get 50 40 30 in those ranges if the wind isn't right you are toast you don't have a chance so you've got to worry about those things and everything is kind of exaggerated as you get closer you got to worry about wind noise and and being seen a lot more so that makes it a lot harder another con to archery hunting i'm specifically talking about mule deer because that's what i've been doing this year but with, um, when in those earlier seasons, you've got a lot hotter temperatures I and mean, we can be eighties, nineties in the day. And, um, that becomes a problem, not only for you, just because it's a lot less comfortable being out there. Um, but what is really a problem is taking care of your meat at those temperatures. It it can spoil really quickly at the, at those temperatures. So you need to be quick about, once the animal's down, getting that meat taken care of, cooled down. Whereas if you kill a deer in November, I mean, you've got a built-in refrigerator at night. So, And then another thing to be considered is getting good with a bow takes a lot more practice than it does with a rifle, especially at normal ranges. So I would consider a normal range for a rifle shot out here in the West is under 300 yards. And with just a little bit of practice, I think pretty much anybody can make a good shot under 300 yards. Once you get over that, then you start getting into a lot more technique and um, calculations and knowing your round and your rifle a lot more, but you can pretty much get a generic rifle with a generic hunting round, practice a little bit and be good out to 300 with a moderate amount of practice, but with a bow, it takes into account your entire body. So with a rifle, you're pretty much just trying to let the rifle do the work, like touch it as little as possible, move your finger as little as possible on the trigger. You know, you're you're limiting your interaction with the rifle, but you, you can't really do that with a bow. Your, your body is what pulls it back. Your body is what aims it. You can't rest it on anything. So it takes a lot more effort to keep a bow steady than it does to keep a rifle steady because you're inherently involved with how it moves. So because of that, it requires a a lot more practice to get good. And any little mistake is magnified a lot more because, you know, you flinch a little bit and that's true with a rifle too. But when you're shooting a bow, that bullet or the bullet, the, the arrow is on the string that whole time it's on the string. It's being influenced by the bow. And so once it leaves the string and leaves the rest, then it's out of your hands. But the longer, if you have I have a 29 inch draw length, and it's on that string for the time that it takes it to travel that 29 inches. And that's a long time and a lot can happen, especially if you've been drawn back for a long time, you're holding it, you're not holding steady, you know, the wind blows your bow around. I mean, everything is just kind of exaggerated. So you just got to be, you got to practice a lot to minimize those variances in your technique. And then just like with anything else, as you get into longer ranges, those mistakes are magnified even more. So I was able to get down to, I told myself if it was under 60, I would consider it. If it was under 50, then I would feel really comfortable with it. But if it was between 50 and 60, everything would have to be perfect there would have to be little wind, the animal couldn't know that I was there, and I'd have to have a lot of time to get settled in and make a good shot. So that's the kind of the rule I told me. If it was 61, I was not going to shoot. Based on my practice and based on the groups that I was shooting, I felt comfortable out to 50 yards, and then with some reservation over over 50 up to 60, and then if it was over 60, it, I just wasn't going to shoot. Another thing that is really difficult with archery hunting is I think it just requires a lot more time in the field because because of all those errors that you can make there is more you need more time to make the perfect stock make the have the perfect situation and in a lot of cases you can do everything right but there's a tree in the way or a branch in the way and if you step out they're gonna see you and you're gonna get busted and there's also if a If a deer is not in a stockable position, then you can't go in and and with a rifle, you can kind of, there's a lot more leeway with what is in a stockable position. Like, can you make the shot is the biggest limiting factor, like distance. Like if you're not able to get on the same side of the hill as them, if you have to shoot across a canyon, but it's too far, then it's not, that would make it not in a position that you could get it. But in most situations, I feel like you can make a move with a rifle and get in position to make a shot depending on where you are, obviously there's a ton of variables that go into that. So it all varies. Obviously every situation, every year is going to be different in every unit and every hillside. But I feel like with a bow, you have to get so close that if the deer is at the wrong angle, or if the deer bounces in the wrong direction, because of your proximity to them, your angles are exaggerated. If they take two steps, that's a you know, a certain degree difference than if they take two steps with a rifle at 300 yards, it's a lot less adjustment on your part. So those are a lot of little things that go into the differences. And so these are all things that you got to consider if you want to get into bow hunting. And if you're really planning on being successful, you got to take into account all these little things. And then there was other things that equipment things that I needed to get. In addition to just a bow and arrows, um, I needed a new range finder. My rangefinder that I had before didn't have the angle cons- compensation. And when you're shooting downhill or uphill, you're gonna have to adjust for the angle and shoot a smaller distance um, because your arrow will only travel the horizontal distance. Well, it's it's traveling the the entire distance, but your the drop of the arrow is only affected by the horizontal distance, not by the true line of sight distance. So you need a an angle compensating rangefinder to account for that, um, because most of the time with with my rifle, all I need to know is the line of sight distance, and um, I could it it's affected very little under three hundred yards with a with a rifle round. So I didn't need that type of rangefinder, but because I was switching over to archery, I needed a new rangefinder. So that was another expense. But through all these, so those are, these are kind of the pros and the cons of what was going through my head when I made the decision to do archery this year. And, but the main reason, I mean, those are a ton of cons. Like I made a pros and cons list and the pros has five bullet points and the cons has like 25. (laughs) So, but that didn't, that's not the only thing I looked out for me. It was all about the struggle. Like I think I've mentioned before that sometimes I just like doing things because they're difficult. Maybe I'm weird, but one of the main reasons I wanted to do this is because it's just harder I, I wanted the struggle. It's exhilarating for me to be in the thick of it because it feels so good when you emerge. And I'm just talking about general struggle in life. So that's why I love heavy packouts. It hurts so good, as they say. I mean, that's kind of a dumb saying, but it's true. Like sometimes it just, it feels good to be in a little bit of pain or a little bit of suck. So let's get into the story of what actually happened on my hunt. So I had an archery just a general season archery tag. And I chose a unit that I had hunted rifle in before because I was familiar with the area. And so I went to this unit. I did not scout um, before season. I just didn't have the time or I didn't make the time. It just wasn't a priority for me at the moment because we had moved. We moved from Salt Lake into a different city and we were dealing with that. And we moved to our house in May and the season opened in second week of August. So I had a couple months after we moved in, and we were still just getting settled, getting unpacked, and it took forever, and I hate moving, by the way. So I just didn't make it a priority to get over. It was about four hours away from my house, this area that I was hunting. So I didn't make it over there very very much at all, actually. So the only time that I had been in the unit was during rifle season. And so I had done a lot of e-scouting on Onyx Maps, and Google maps and searched around and I figured out a bunch of different places that I could go and we'll get into what worked well, what, what didn't work well. That was one thing that worked well was the, was my pre-scouting online. And then I had been practicing with my bow all summer in my basement. I can shoot 18 yards in my basement and I'd been practicing a ton, just getting the, getting my rhythm down, getting a consistent anchor point point just practicing and getting my form is mostly what I was doing, just making sure my technique was dialed so I could do the same thing every single time and have little variance in what I was doing. So that worked really well. I was practicing a lot, but when season came rolling around, I went to my number one area and I roll in to that area and there's a gate that was locked and I was planning on driving on that road for seven miles over to the spot that I was planning on hunting. And I debated whether or not I was going to hike that. But I, if you've listened to these episodes, you know that I don't really backpack hunt. I just kind of car camp and hunt from the from the car. So that was not in the cards to walk on that road for seven miles and then hunt from there because it was going to be another mile or two to where I was going to glass and then another mile beyond that where I was going to be hunting. So, I mean, you add that up, zigging and zagging, you know, you're looking at 12 miles just to like get into the area that you're hunting. So that wasn't really an option. So I had to go to option two. And when I went up there, I walked around all day and pretty much saw just elk. I just saw some cows in this area, and it was actually pretty cool. And what I decided to do in that area w- was, um, when I saw those cows, I decided I was going to practice stalking in on them. I wasn't going to shoot them or anything, but I wanted to work on my stalking abilities when I'm holding a bow, when I have a backpack, and I have a real life animal in front of me. So I stalked in as close as I felt comfortable. I didn't want to blow them out, um, so I didn't want to push it all the way. But I got into within 60 yards of this cow. And so I was feeling pretty good. And then I snuck out of there and backed out without them seeing me. But I mean, for that day, I did not see any deer. And it was still a win for me because I was able to practice stalking in on those elk. And I was like, okay, in this area, this is what those, these twigs sound like when I step on them. And those rocks are good to step on. These are too loud. Like those types of, you know, I was learning the terrain and really paying attention to what I could get away with and how my steps and how my movement worked in that area and I think that was really important so I wandered around up there for you know that that entire day I went everywhere from about 10,000 feet up to about 11,500 and the tip of the mountain the top of the mountain is where the unit ended ended and that was about 12,000 feet so I was basically up at the top of the mountain range and scouring that upper area you know where timberline is and I did not see any deer. I looked everywhere and I was wandering around all day looking for sign, looking for scat, looking for prints, anything. And I could not find any deer sign. I could only see elk. And so I decided that, well, you know, if they're not in those higher elevations, I better go down an elevation. So I went to my number two spot. Well, actually it was my number three spot because my number one spot was, had a gate on it and this was my number two. So I went to my number three spot. I decided I was going to go out and shoot my bow because, you know, you're wandering around all day with your bow and then, you know, you get a little antsy and you want to shoot it so you can make sure it's on and have like build up that confidence. And so I did that at the, at, on the road there and I was shooting. And I realized that my sight tape was a little bit fast. So at 40, I have a three pin slider. So I have a 20, 30 and 40 pin in my sight and then that 40 pin, I can dial to an exact yardage. So at 40, my 40 pin was perfect. And then I could dial out to 50. My 50 was good. And then about 60, I was shooting a little high. So my bow was a little bit faster than my sight tape said. So I guess my sight tape was slow. So I was shooting a little bit high, about about an inch or two at 60 yards. And that was another reason why I didn't want to shoot past, past 60 is because I was, a little, I was shooting a little bit high, and I didn't want to have to think about that while I was, you know, standing in front of a deer. So I dropped an elevation, I went to a new little area, and I wandered around that area for the evening that day. And I ran into a couple of elk hunters, and I talked to them. I asked them if they'd seen any deer, and they said they hadn't seen anything, only elk. And I told them where I had seen the elk, and I pointed them in that direction. I told I didn't see any bulls, but... Um, I'm assuming that there would be, you know, a spike or a raghorn around, with one of those cow groups. And so I told them where those elk were. They said that they hadn't seen any mule deer. Two different, two different groups of hunters, and hadn't seen anything. So I decided I'd, if they weren't up at the high elevations, then they must be lower in elevation. So I dropped down to this other area where my brother and I had actually been rifle hunting before. So we went to that elevation. I think it was around nine thousand feet so I dropped quite a bit in elevation and went to this other area and um, I got there just before last light and so it was perfect glassing time that's when the deer start coming out is right before the the sun goes down right before it gets dark and I spotted my first buck it was an it was a nice I mean I, I wasn't looking for anything giant I was just looking for any any legal buck because it's my first archery season. I have, you know, the odds are stacked against me. And so I told myself I would shoot anything that was legal. And, and on those general season, Utah tags, you can shoot a spike. So any, any buck is good. And this was a four point. So it was a, it wasn't a giant four point, but it was a four point. And so I was like, perfect. I know where he is and maybe he'll come out first thing in the morning. So that next morning, He was with another little buck, actually a little two point. And so I was watching them and I was like, perfect. I'm going to find out where they're going to bed. And I'm going to go over there and shoot them in their beds. Not both of them, just the big one. I was going to go over there and shoot the one in the bed. And as I'm watching them, I noticed that something spooked them and they ran off. And they went um, somewhere through a patch of trees or something. They picked up a couple does with them. And then I heard a coyote down in the bottom of the canyon and they were, I think they were running away from that coyote. I watched where they went in and I watched which grove of trees they went into. And then I picked up my things so I could walk around and go over to that. So I went to that grove of trees on the other side of the canyon and I still hunted through that area, you know, and just creeping really, really quietly trying to spot, you know, antlers bedded down like somebody up above the little bushes or whatever, just spotting anything. I would just take like two steps and then look around and then take two more steps. And it's grueling, but it's the only way to find those deer in the those thick trees because um, you can't see them from far away. And so I just, just snuck through there really, really quietly and I didn't spook anything. And I went through that entire area and I did not find any deer. So they must have gone out to somewhere else. So I decided to stay over there and go back to where I saw that those bucks come out in the evening. And I thought, maybe I'll just sit here where they came out. And hopefully they'll walk right in front of me right as evening comes around. You know, kind of ambush them. And this is where my first mistake came in. I was laying there. when I didn't have an arrow knocked. I just had my bow sitting next to me. Had some snacks. And I was sitting there waiting for evening to come. I fell asleep. You know, taking a little snooze on the mountain. And then I wake up and there's a, there's a buck 20 yards away from me, just a little spike. And he was, I think he only had a spike on one side. Like this, this deer still had milk on his lips. He was a baby, but he was a legal buck. And, and I actually, I I should look into this because I questioned whether or not he was legal, legal because he only had one antler. And I'm, I was like pretty sure that it was legal, but I like kind of had that thought in my mind. I was like kind of questioning, which is always a bad sign. If you're questioning, if something is legal, the best thing is to just not do it. Um, but I was like pretty sure. And so I, <laughs> that sounds horrible. I'm just going to tell you guys the truth. Like, this is just really, this is real life. This is what happened. I, I'll just tell you what was going through my head. I, I thought maybe he's not legal, but I, I'm pretty sure he is. And so I grabbed my bow. And his head went behind a, behind a trunk of a tree that had fallen down and he was feeding behind that tree. And so while his head was down, I grabbed my bow, pulled out an arrow, knocked an arrow and went to put my release on the string. And I hear a deer bust out to my left. And I realized that he was with a doe that I didn't even see. And so he heard the doe take off and he took off with her and I didn't even get my, my bow drawn back. And that's when I remembered somebody saying, if you want something to happen when you're really bored, just take a nap and then something will happen. And then I remembered somebody else saying, if you ever stop to do something, you know, take a break to eat lunch or whatever, always knock an arrow because that's what when stuff happens and it doesn't cost you anything to just knock an arrow and then sit down. So I learned that lesson the hard way. If I would have had an arrow knocked already, I might have gotten a shot off. So I decided to stay there and that was in the middle of the day. That was about 3 p.m., 2 p.m., 3 p.m. And so I figured, you know, they busted out, but maybe something will come along. Like this is clearly where the deer are hanging out and coming out in the evenings. So maybe something else will happen later in the evening. So I decided to just stay there because there was a watering hole, like a big watering hole that some cows were feeding at it's like some moo cows some cattle they were sitting and coming down to that water all the time and so I figured maybe the deer are using it at night and that's why they're coming out and feeding there during the like right at evening right as the rise up as it's getting dark so I decided to stay there and for some reason I still had my backpack on I think I was using it to lean backwards and kind of lay down and I like was adjusting the way I was laying and I like pushed against my backpack and I heard a pop and it was my water bladder had popped and I didn't realize it at the time but then about 10 minutes later I felt my back getting all wet and I had just popped my water bladder and so I decided to hurry and drink all that (laughs) what was left in there so at least I could have the water in my body instead of being dehydrated later and so I decided to drink all that and then I was like well crap and now I'm out of water and I'm only about a mile and a half of walking distance but it's like really steep down and then really steep back up to where I was camped so I was a little bit worried about water and that I was not getting water out of that watering hole it was disgusting like just cows in there it was so gross so I wasn't going to purify water out of there and I was close enough to the truck anyway that, or I don't have a truck. <laughs> I say the truck, but I don't have a truck. I have a Hyundai Tucson, and I take that places that Jeeps shouldn't even go. But I took that back to the car. And back of the car, I usually have, I had brought with me like a five-gallon jug of, of water, so I don't have to worry about purifying water um, unless I need to. I always take a little Sawyer Mini with me to purify water if I run out in the middle of the day and I'm not near the truck I just did it again Again, when I'm not near the car. Um, I have ambitions of getting a truck, okay, you guys? So it's okay. If I say truck, you know I mean car because I don't have a truck. (laughs) Anyway, so that busted out. Those guys busted out, and then I popped my water bladder, and then I sat there for another four hours because it doesn't get dark until like 745 at this time of day or this time of year. So I sat there for like another four hours, and so I sat there for... Probably like almost eight hours sitting there watching, looking, waiting, hearing, listening for a deer. And I only saw those ones and then um, nothing happened to the evening. So then the next morning I ended up kind of sleeping in a little bit. Sleeping in as in like 6.15 instead of 5 because it gets light so early. I eventually got out of my canvas cutter. It's really hard to sleep in. I mean, it's really hard to get up early when you're in a canvas cutter, because they're just so freaking comfortable. I got out and as soon as I unzipped that thing, I saw five deer like 120 yards away from my camp and they busted out of there and they even blew at me, which I've never heard a mule deer do. Like they make like this buzzing sound. Like I've heard antelope do that and I know whitetail do that too, but I've never heard a mule deer do it, but they did that to me. And I was like, Oh, great. So then I was really in a bad mood because I just blew out all these deer. And it was a little bit too dark for me to see, um, if there were any bucks with them, but I didn't see anything. I knew I saw some of them were for sure does now it's like, you know, six 15. And the day before all the deer were, were back in the trees by 6 40 AM. So I was like hurried and I was grabbing all my stuff and I was like super disorganized. And I just threw all my stuff in my backpack and carried my bow over the, my glassing spot, which was only like 50 yards away from from camp and I didn't have my buckles on my backpack buckled or anything and so I'm like making all this noise I'm like kind of pouting I'm walking over the hill and I like have a granola bar package in my hoodie pocket that's like making all this noise I walk over the hill I stand there for a second and I see a little 1 by 2 buck right there at 20 yards so I crouch down as quickly as I could and but he saw me and he jumped up and started running from left to right. And then he stopped. And while he was running, those little, that few, you know, just those few little hops, I dropped everything and I grabbed my rangefinder and I ranged him at 37 yards. So I pulled an arrow out of my quiver, knocked it. All of this is happening while he's just staring right at me. And I come to full draw. And he took a few extra steps, and so I guessed he was right at forty. I put my forty pin on him and let one fly. I didn't know immediately if I hit him or not, but he booked it, and then I saw my arrow bounce and go flying down the hill behind him. So I sat there and I reviewed it in my mind for a few minutes, and then I ranged the bush behind where he was standing, and it was forty-three. So I was worried that I may have shot under him, since I shot for forty, but. As I reviewed it more in my mind, it looked, it seemed more like I shot over him because the arrow had bounced off of this bush. So I decided to go back to camp, waited 30 minutes just in case I hit him and I went back to the car and just got my stuff together and I grabbed my trekking poles and I shoved one in the dirt where I was standing when I shot or I was sitting, I was like sitting. So this is the most awkward part of it. I was sitting down and then he, I was facing him. And then he ran off to the right. And so, and I'm right-handed. So if you can imagine my right arm pulling back towards my cheek, my left arm extended out to where the deer is. So my left arm is extended over to the right of my right knee. And I'm sitting down and my right hand is up by my cheek. And I'm holding that. I mean, I'm making this position right now. I know you can't see me, but I'm in a really awkward position. I'm twisted way off to the right. I'm sitting down on my butt and I'm like pulling my bow back. So I put a trekking pole in the dirt right there. And then I went down to where that bush was. I put my other trekking pole there. And then I had like a perfect line between the two spots. Then I followed that direct line, you know, because the arrow was going in a straight line. And I noticed when it bounced off the bush that it went straight up in the air, almost straight up in the air, but it just flew down the hill. And I found my arrow pretty quickly because of that. And I thought that was a pretty good way of finding your arrow. You know, if you miss <laughs> for all of you, and there's a little pro tip for you, you know, semi pro tip. And it was like 50 yards past where the deer was standing and it bounced a long way. But the good news is that it was totally clean, no blood. So I was pretty relieved that I'd missed completely. I would totally take a clean miss over a bad hit any day. And so I could keep hunting. So I was pretty relieved that I had a clean miss and, um, I still went back to the car and pulled out my target. I brought well, a foam target with me and I set that out there and I checked at 40 and I shot my bow and it was dead on. So I knew my bow was still on. I just was shooting at a weird angle and a weird position and I just missed. I just straight up missed cause I, I made a bad shot. So that's a good lesson to take a take a target with you so you can check your bow, at least give you yourself confidence. Cause after a miss, you know, you really want to get your confidence back and shooting a, a bunch at that target really helped me get my confidence back after that miss, knowing that it wasn't my bow that made the mistake. It was just me. So I decided to go over to that same area where I had been the day before. And i had sat there for like seven or eight hours and I made my way over there in the middle of the day. And um, we got some cloud cover, which was kind of nice, and um, I spotted this doe up on the top of the other side before I before I made my way down. I spotted this doe, and I did the same thing. I She was feeding in this open field of sagebrush, and I crept in, and I stalked her while I was, well, like, every time she'd put her head down, I'd move up closer. I got the wind right, looped around, and I got within 40 yards of her and then all of a sudden the wind switched and she caught my wind and ran off. So I could have gotten a shot off on her on that doe. Had I I mean, I. but it was just a good stalking experience. So again, I got more confidence knowing that I could get close to a deer when I had one that was actually a buck. So that evening I sat there again until the evening time and no bucks came out. I got close to another doe again. I found that she was actually bedded and facing uphill, and the wind was coming uphill. And I was able to get to about 35 yards from her. And even though she was facing me and the wind, the wind was pretty strong, though, so it kind of covered my sound. So I could put trees between me and the doe and get really close. But, again, she was in the exact same spot as where I had, like, um, fell asleep in that one little spike kind of deer it's like a one by zero is that a thing it was like a one, the one by zero we'll call them the one by zero when that one by zero I almost got the shot on that one she was in the same spot like maybe 20 yards away from where that I had seen that one so I knew that this is kind of a hot spot for deer to hang out in But I just never saw any bucks come out. That buck never showed up again. There were two: the four-point and a little two-point, and neither of them show ever showed up again. I did that the next day too, and then by that time I had to go home, um, and go back to work. So then, so I'd not gotten anything in that time. And then the biggest thing with that area was there were just cattle everywhere. Like I almost got ran over a couple times by cows. They were in my camp, and I could see where they had like licked my canvas cutter and like they got everything muddy and uh, the the cows just drew me drove me nuts because they kept throwing things off every time the a cow would walk into where a deer was bedded the deer would spook and move off somewhere else and so it was it, I think they were the cattle were making the deer less predictable than they normally are and I had never seen cows in that area before when he, when we had hunted during rifle season. So that was really frustrating. So the next week when I went back up, I went to a completely different area because I was sick of dealing with those cows. And I'm going to try to make this next week a, an abbreviated version because we're already getting along on the podcast. But um, I got a tip from my cousin of an area where he had seen some bucks late at night. He had been hunting elk in that same unit. And he told me that he had seen some bucks after dark in this, this one area and he dropped me a pin. Um, so I decided to go to that area because I spent about three days going to all different areas and I just kept seeing either elk or no deer sign at all, or there were just hunters because by this time it was Labor Day weekend and there were just people everywhere, campers and hunters, just lots of people. So, after about three or four different spots and three days or something, I went to this area where my cousin told me he had seen these deer and I set up camp there and I, I hunted that whole area and there were, there were fewer people in that area. Um, but I kept finding just does and fawns and I did get a pattern on those though, because I kept seeing these deer come out at this exact same time from the same grove of trees that walk across this field at the same time every day and one time i saw a spike with them and so i got to where they were and then one night they walked out and they just walked out you know a hundred yards away from where they were before the first time and so i was too far away i couldn't get close it was just wide open sagebrush and it was in this area where they had these small aspen trees I just, I call them Jack Aspens because they're just like, you know, they're like 10 feet tall. They haven't grown. And so, so they're really low to the ground and they're really thick. And so the deer were hanging out in those. And so you can't get in there and get a shot at anything because it's too thick and too noisy. And so I sat just outside of those Jack Aspens and waited for those deer to come out. Cause had been coming out in the same areas every day. And the one night that I did that or the first night that I did that, those deer came out a hundred and I think it was like 160 yards different, like just down the meadow from where they had come out the night before. And so it was just too far. And so that was just one example of a time when, if I had a rifle, I would have been done. I would have been completely done with the hunt. I mean, I would have been successful, but with a bow, you know, it's just way too far, 160 yards. So I held on to that idea though because it was the only time that I had seen a buck in that area and I knew where they were coming out and I sat there three different nights and they never came out in the exact same spot so at least the buck didn't I had one I had one doe and and one fawn come out right next to me exactly like I had planned and I could have gotten a shot at them but they just didn't have a buck with them that day and then one day I was still hunting through the trees because you know, those long days, the deer aren't very active during the middle of the day. And so instead of sitting at camp all day, you know, I'm I'm alone this whole time and it's just super boring. So there's only so many times you can shoot your bow. It was just really good that I had that target because I, I would just shoot the bow in the middle of the day and practice and that helped pass the time. So I would just still hunt through the trees. And I was having success, like I was getting really close to deer, but there just weren't any bucks. And I think it was just the elevation that I was at that I wasn't in where the bachelor herds are. So again, I was just practicing stalking in on deer. And this one deer, I stalked in there. Well, I didn't stalk, I I was still hunting, and I spooked one up. And when you're making just a tiny bit of noise, they'll get spooked by the noise more than they get spooked by seeing you especially if you stop moving after they spook. So what I learned was that they would spook up, like they jump up, they're bedded down, they jump up and take a couple hops and then stop and look to see what scared them. And if you're not moving, then they kind of settle down a little bit and then they can either go back to, they'll either lay back down or they'll, you know, just kind of slowly walk off. And that, I did that a couple times and on this one doe, I was like, I'm going to draw back as if I'm going to take a shot and just see what it feels like and see if I can get a shot. Because one thing that I had been practicing that I was noticing was that when you draw back, the longer you hold back, it's harder to stay steady. And so in a hunting situation, you draw back your bow and then you know they had taken a step or something and there's a branch in front of their vitals and so you can't take a shot. So you got to wait and you got to stay at full draw for a long time. So I did that on this doe and I drew back she paused and then I like took a sidestep behind or out from behind a tree. So I had a clear shot. And of course my finger was not on the trigger or anything. And maybe this isn't recommended just because of, if, if your release breaks and you shoot something that you're not willing to shoot like a, like a doe, which would be illegal. But I wanted the experience of pulling my bow back on a, on an actual deer. So I kept my finger behind the release so it wouldn't go off. And I would pull back on the steer and, and see what it felt like and that was really helpful for me to gain confidence and um, i was able to hold steady and i could have shot and i felt like it was it would have been perfect and that was at like 30 yards so i felt good about that and but i never just i just never got an opportunity at a buck so i know that's probably not the outcome that everybody wants but this is real life i wanted to give an update on my season this year and hopefully help you guys learn some, some mistakes that I made and you can help on, on your first bow hunt if you're looking to get into bow hunting. All right. So let's just recap the lessons learned things that worked well, what I would have improved. So the biggest one for lessons learned is I need to practice in real life situations. So as soon as I ended that hunt, I came home and I practiced on sitting on my butt a lot and I realized that it is a horrible position to get in so what I should have done in that situation is I should have instead of going to my to my butt and sitting down I should have gone to my knees and knelt down because you're a lot more mobile you can twist more and when you're shooting off to your left like if you're shooting off to your right as a right-handed shooter that's really difficult but it's a lot easier on your knees than on your butt So that's one thing that I've been trying um, and practicing a lot is shooting from my knees off to my right because it's just harder. So and you'll be surprised if as you try that the muscles that it requires these stabilizing muscles in your back and in your core to stay steady. And I've seen a big improvement just in practicing, you know, once a day for a few weeks. So that's been really helpful. That's one thing. That's the biggest thing I learned. Because that was my one opportunity that I should have capitalized on. And I just hadn't practiced enough in real life situations to make it happen. The next thing is that optics are everything. So in the first area that I went when I was up high, instead of wandering around and looking for deer sign, it would have been a much um, more effective way of finding them with, my, with optics. But all I have is a 10X bino. And having a tripod really helps. You have tri- a, pre- a tripod for your binos. That really, really helps um, to glass long distances, especially for long periods of time. But when your glassing, when your glassing point is w- is just not close enough to the area you want to glass, then having a spotting scope would be a lot better. And I feel like I could have crossed off places off the list a lot more quickly had I had a spotting scope. So next year I'm gonna try and save up some money and get the optics because i think that'll help me be a lot more successful um finding deer with my eyes instead of with my feet the next thing that i learned is that scouting is the name of the game so if i had spent time in the summer finding bucks i wouldn't have had to spend that time during season looking for them again so that's one of the pros of archery season is that they're patternable Um, the mule deer are usually in predictable areas or they stay in the areas unless something pushes them out. Um, I think trail cams are really effective for mule deer archery hunting because they're in their summer patterns. They're predictable. You can put out a trail cam and a few trail cams in a basin or something, and you can cross that area off the list if you don't see anything. So that's another thing that I could have done better, but what worked well was practicing all summer long in my basement, getting that technique down and getting confident and knowing what my ranges were and what my effective distance was. So, and then also having a target in camp, that's a lifesaver. It's just, it's also something to do when it's really hot in the middle of the day and you can't find anything. Um, But the biggest thing is that it helps in confidence. And then again, I know I sound like a canvas cutter fanboy over here but I just kind of am I'm not sponsored by them or anything but I just love their product. and when you sleep well at night you're way more likely to wake up early in the morning and get out and get it done so I just love having that canvas cutter especially when I'm moving around in my car a lot when I'm crossing those areas off the list and I'm moving from one camp to another even daily or sometimes multiple times a day so being able to roll up that canvas cutter and just throw it in the back of my car, super easy. And then if you drive in somewhere late, you know, um, it's way nice to just roll that out and climb in bed immediately. So that's one of my favorite things. And then the last thing that worked really well is just had having a lot of waypoints on my Onyx maps. So I had e-scouted a ton and I had waypoints everywhere I had them color-coded so I knew that pink campsite icons were places possible locations that I could camp and then I had my pinpoints all around that area and then I had possible glassing locations in each one of those areas and I probably had seven or eight really large areas that I could go and each of those areas had three to five camping spots in an area so I mean you do the math on that, that's a lot of points and there's a lot of spots to go. And so I'd pull up in an area and I know that I want to hunt this area, that there's a camp or or there's a camper or a trailer in the spot that I was gonna camp in. I can just pull up that map and I go to the next one and it's really easy. Onyx maps is one of the coolest things and it has really helped me at least just know where I'm supposed to be. Because before Onyx Maps, I would just wander around the on roads and I would look for areas that didn't have fences and if it wasn't posted or there was no sign or no fence I would just go on it and I have no idea what kind of land it was and so that's a really risky way of doing it and Onyx Maps is just a way better way to go because now you know that if there's a fence some there sometimes it's just uh, a lease on National Forest Service or something and they just do that to keep their cows in there and you have every right to cross that fence and knowing that, um, having Onyx Maps helps you know that. So that's been one of the greatest tools is Onyx Maps. So anyway, this is getting kind of long. So I just want to let you guys know that archery hunting is awesome. If you enjoy a challenge and you want to have a little bit more of a struggle, um, pick up a bow. I know it can be a little intimidating and maybe we'll do another episode on on more specific stuff or... For beginners Um, i'm gonna put up a spreadsheet of the cost of my bow setup just with the different items and um, and and the cost and know that you can go cheaper on stuff i i went a little higher end on some things but i didn't i definitely didn't go the highest you could go because i'm planning on keeping this bow for a long time i'm not going to be one of those people that buys a bow every year and has to reset it up and everything I'm going to stick with this for a while and, um, unless I have a significant need to improve my bow, I'm not going to. So that with that in mind, that that's kind of how I went as I made my decisions for each piece of gear that I put on my bow, I kind of went on the higher end and the, and I was looking more towards longevity. So anyway, I'm going to put that up. You can go to the, to get that at huntthewest.us six. This is episode six. So go there, huntthewest.us slash 6. And if you're not subscribed to the podcast, just go ahead and hit that subscribe button. A lot of people who are listening aren't subscribed, so go ahead and hit that subscribe button. You'll be get that downloaded onto your device as soon as it comes out. And then a reminder, we're still doing that giveaway for a t-shirt, the Hunt the West logo on it. So um, if you write a review and let me know what you thought about this episode you'll be entered to win a free t-shirt i'm just going to pick um, a random one we'll read it on the show in a couple weeks and you'll w- you have a, an opportunity to win a free t-shirt so go ahead and le- write a review get entered win that t-shirt but the most important thing is if you're going out archery hunting take some of these lessons figure out what you need to adjust probably need to practice more we all do so get out there and hunt the west